Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank. Banking with greater momentum. At B1Bank.com. Sewers on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. Stephanie Regal is a broadcaster and editor of Baton Rouge Business Report. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. When it comes to entrepreneurship, you won't find many people in Louisiana, or anywhere for that matter, who knows more than John Elstrott. He's chairman of the board of Whole Foods, a company he has been involved with since moving to New Orleans in the early 1980s. He also serves on the boards of several other national corporations and nonprofit organizations, is an investor in startup companies, and is retired as director of Tulane's Rosenblum Institute for Entrepreneurship, where he guest lectures. John, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Stephanie. And my next guest also knows a thing or two about entrepreneurship. He also knows John, their old friends dating from back to their days at LSU. Maybe it was something in the water back then. He's Charlie D'Agostino, who heads LSU's Innovation Park, a technology-based research park, and the LSU Business and Technology Center, a business incubator which is within Innovation Park, and three other incubators, one for biomedical-based startups, one for student ventures, and one for food companies. Charlie has been recognized for his expertise in entrepreneurship and economic development. He's also introduced us to a lot of interesting guests that we've had on our show. So, Charlie, thank you for being here thank today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Now, John, y'all actually knew each other at LSU. Yes. Uh, we were fraternity brothers and uh, took a few classes together and uh, hung out in bars together, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a few football <laughs> games, too. I think so. And, and yeah. both ended up sort of leading entrepreneurial yeah, endeavors right. in very different ways. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the things, too, about that pledge class in 1966, we had two generals, uh, one Marine Corps and one Army general. John is chairman of the Board of Whole Foods and Pistol Pete Maravich. Wow. So, so it was a uh, fun times back then. Oh, that's great. Now, John, Charlie mentioned Whole Foods. You've been involved with them for years. You weren't a founder, but you've, you've been involved for a long time and have been a leader there. Yes, I got involved uh, when I moved back to my hometown, New Orleans, from Colorado. Uh, while in Colorado, I got a PhD in economics and uh, wrote a dissertation about the role of entrepreneurs in a free market economy. But rather than become a college professor, I helped uh, get Celestial Seasons off the ground, my first entrepreneurial venture. And when I moved back to uh, New Orleans in 1980, I wanted to stay involved in the natural foods industry. And uh, at that time, there was a small natural foods co-op called Whole Foods Store. And I uh, joined that team and helped them convert it to a for-profit. And we built that company. Was over that over on Esplanade Avenue? Was uh, that our first location was right near Tulane on Adams and Cone Street. Okay, our second location sure. on Esplanade. But ultimately, we sold that store uh, and became the first acquisition of Whole Foods Market in 1987. And that's uh, led to my involvement with Whole Foods Market, and it's been a wonderful association. And, and you're chairman of the board there now. That's correct. Wow, and, and, and the company is, is going through some transitions right now, actually. Uh, yes, we're a large public company, and we uh, have 
been very successful, which has attracted a lot of competition. And we see that as a good thing. Well, our mission and purpose was to get people to eat more healthy, to uh, uh, encourage the growth and consumption of organic products, uh, to change the way uh, farming is done, and to change the way people eat. So the more uh, that other grocery stores adopt that philosophy, uh, we see that's a good thing. But yes, it creates mm -hmm. competition for us, and we're reacting to that, and we'll continue to innovate and be the best grocery store in America. Now tell us what else you've been doing. I know you're very well known around the state. You come up here and speak. Uh, you're retired from Tulane, and you're investing. You're helping startup businesses? Uh, yes, uh, I guess the most recent venture I helped get off the ground is Dinner Lab. Uh, which is based in New Orleans, and uh, there are five co-founders, uh, three of which are former MBA students of mine in the entrepreneurship program. And we uh, have opened up in 31 cities, and uh, just like the name Dinner Lab, it's all about uh, innovative approaches to cooking. We have uh, in each city roughly 100 <coughs> pop-up uh, events a year where we have guest chefs, and it's all done online, and people sign up and show up at a pop-up location and, and consume innovative food and give us feedback. And, and what about um, New Orleans is, is, is such a hotbed for this sort of activity right as now. As is I mean Baton it seems Rouge. Is, is it? Tell <laughs> yes. us. You, you see as much here? I wanted to... Well, uh, I've been uh, preaching and uh, <laughs> entrepreneurship as a, a way to build a healthy culture and a healthy economy uh, and for the last 30, 40 years. And the climate for entrepreneurship both in Baton Rouge and New Orleans is better than I have ever seen it. Uh, the uh, f support facilities uh, such as incubators and accelerators that Charlie is, is of course a leader in in this state and around the country, uh, they didn't exist uh, 20 years ago. Uh, maybe they existed 20 years ago because so Charlie <laughs> was getting them started. <laughs> but there's access to capital, there's angel investing programs, there's venture capital, there's uh, people with money willing to invest. Uh, there's mentorship programs. The colleges and universities have responded with classes. And so yes, there's a network, an ecosystem, uh, which is very supportive of entrepreneurship in both communities. Excellent. Well, I want to get back and dive in a little more specifically into some of those I areas that you mentioned. But first, Charlie, tell us, because you mentioned the incubators, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about what's going on at Innovation Park within the LBTCS and, and within all right. of your incubators. Yeah, we've, uh, we've really built a, a quite a uh, group of facilities that can help entrepreneurs, innovators, and small business people. Uh, the Innovation Park is a 250-acre research park. We acquired the old Albemarle Chemical Company Labs, so we have a fantastic uh, high-tech, when I say high-tech, I'm talking about sciences, energy, uh, chemistry, um, hard sciences uh, at our facility, but we have other clients. So we've now partnered with Pennington, so we have the Pennington Biotech Init Initiative, which is for medical devices, medical software, and then of course working with Gay with the food incubator, uh, we first got one started in Narco, and then the Ag Center at LSU, uh, needed to do one here, so we kind of assisted there. Uh, we have the Emerging Technology Center on campus. Is, that, for that's, is that the that's student incubator? No, the, no, the Emerging Technology Center is uh, wet labs for bio and life okay. science. But the student incubator that you just mentioned is something I'm extremely proud yeah. about. Uh, in 2010, we had six students come to us and uh, tell us that four of the six were graduating that next month and uh, three of them had jobs. Uh, the others didn't. Uh, the job offers they had were to leave to go to Dallas or Houston and they wanted to stay in Louisiana, they wanted to stay in the Baton Rouge area. 
And so we created at that point a student incubator and helped these students develop their company. And as that turned out to be so successful, we started promoting to the classrooms uh, in various, from engineering, business, sciences, everything, uh, saying if you've got a business idea, if you want to start a business or running a business out of your dorm or your apartment, then we will help you develop it with the student incubator. And so today, uh, we have over 30 businesses that are have been in business uh, from 2010, creating hundreds of jobs and really keeping our students that we educate in Louisiana, they, instead of interviewing and so in great leading state. With the students, because they're so enthusiastic, and they don't know what they can't and, do, and so well, they just dive right in. Well, you know, and, and that's other, what it takes. And, and like everybody that. wants to help them. I mean, when, when you talk to John and some of the other uh, investors and venture and angels, uh, if I say it's a student project mm -hmm. or a student company, uh, we get... 100% support. Everybody wants to help the students, and so it's just that's why we've been successful with it. So, what do you think is is the reason? I mean, you you alluded to several of them, but was there a single catalyst that really got entrepreneurship going here in Louisiana? Do we lag behind other states? No, I, I, we don't lag behind other states. In fact, uh, even in the 80s, when I first uh, began studying and researching entrepreneurship at Tulane, we determined. Uh, empirically that there were a higher than uh, above average number of startups in New Orleans per thousand population. Uh, what we didn't have at the time was the uh, support systems, the ecosystem, the access to capital which would help those businesses break through. Uh, but Louisiana uh, has always had an, an entrepreneurial culture and I think it goes back to uh, New Orleans uh, being a, a port and uh, being an, an early uh, uh, center of culture and business in, in the United States. That's, a, that's yeah. very interesting. Yeah, and I think in the Baton Rouge <coughs> area, with our vast petrochemical complex, we uh, have, and I th I'd heard um, over the years that per capita we have more engineers in Baton Rouge than any other place because of the universities, the two universities, and all the chemical plants in the petrochemical industry. And these people, in are innovators and they they do something to help do their job better and we've been getting a lot of those people either at retirement or some part of their you know, career where they come to us and they actually spin off and start a new business to do something that uh, they solved a problem that they solved while at at their real job and so i think we've got a real vast um, array of entrepreneurs and innovators that are here in this community and as John said the key is back in the 80s when I started the incubator you know we didn't have a lot of support services for them and certainly we didn't have much capital at all so over the years we've transitioned into developing all those support services for those entrepreneurs but the entrepreneurs have always yeah. been here. Is there a difference between an entrepreneur and somebody who's just starting up a business? Well, sure. Uh, there are two different approaches to starting a business. You can decide, I want to just have a lifestyle business, something simple uh, that myself and my partner can operate, and it's going to create a great career for me, and I'll enjoy what I do. And I know, and, and that's what most businesses are. Now, uh, the, there are some entrepreneurs, though, that want to impact the world, that want to make it a better place on a larger level than just their local community. And those are the ones that are trying to create a high-profit, high-growth potential business. And those are the kinds that Charlie and I uh, work most with because they're the ones that need more support, 
uh, a bigger network, mentors, capital, and partners to really achieve their dreams. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of them are, you know, we, we deal in the real hard sciences. So we get faculty members out of chemistry and engineering and physics that have a phenomenal idea uh, for a product or a solution, but their weakness is they do not know business and they generally have a network that is that consists of only the other scientists in their specific field. And so it's our job to bring in attorneys, uh, patent attorneys, uh, CPAs, the other support services that they need to really build a business because my biggest failures have been the scientist that was too stubborn to listen and, and wouldn't allow us mm -hmm. to bring in the, the skill sets that they need. I want to welcome to the table and the discussion mm -hmm. here someone else who's very uh, experienced in the field of entrepreneurship, Gay Sandoz. I know she's no stranger to you, Charlie. She is director of the LSU Ag Center Food Incubator, which works at Innovation Park. Gay is a chef, a cookbook author, and for the past six years has worked with startup food businesses to help them get off the ground. You have a unique perspective on entrepreneurship and a lot of interest. A lot of people want to start up food businesses. Is that true? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I actually started up the food incubator. They didn't have a building, so I just opened up the meat lab and I got it permitted. <laughs> I put two food processors <laughs> up there and we started a hummus business. Um, I had 10 tenants following me from another incubator. Um, we started up, we have 25 businesses in that incubator. Uh, last week, I know Hanley's Foods, who does all natural salad dressings, right. Whole Foods is one of their big, biggest accounts. They did 6,000 bottles of dressing in our inc small incubator last month. Um, we, so had them, we had no, them on the show week, a few I'm weeks sorry. ago. He yes. was great. So, um, so our future is building a co-packing line facility off campus and Charlie's helping with us with that. They've outgrown the incubator. Yeah. We have 30 on a waiting list and probably another 20 inquiries all the time. So you're in charge of screening them and yes. somebody's got a great idea for a jam <coughs> or a jelly or yes. a homemade this or that. I do. What, what goes into your decision making process when you're evaluating these uh, ideas? It's the product. I mean, the feasibility of the product, can it be made in large quantities, can it be co-packed, uh, the cost, of course. Uh, Charlie does business plans for us. So I, we evaluate all of those items. Um, we focus a lot on all-natural products, or mm -hmm. I don't know if they call them all-natural, but we focus on products with no preservatives that can, then can actually go into the Whole Foods stores. Uh, so our food scientist there is a uh, very, his expertise is in natural colorings and, and, and that sort of thing. That, that's one of the keys to her incubator, though, is having the food science department and the Ag Center behind her because as someone comes in to develop a product, you know, what we need to make sure is that it's food mm -hmm. safe, that right. uh, it complies, it has the ingredients, the labeling, and all the critical things. And the general client that comes in there just has a good recipe, and their neighbor told them it was great, <laughs> and they need to market it. But, right. to, but to really get uh -huh. it on Whole Foods shelf, you have to comply with all of these regulations. So the, the safety of having that behind you, um, we make our spaghetti sauce there, and um, and I can go to bed at night, you know, uh, and sleep easy, knowing that the food science department and Gay is watching the process and making sure the product we put on the shelf is safe. Now, does the incubator take an equity stake in these? No, we do not. Okay. We are just a service there. We charge a, like a minimal fee. Service. Uh -huh. 
fees. $20 an hour, which is very minimal for a food company to come and use our equipment. But we have a lot of equipment. We mm -hmm. have um, bottlers and single piston, you know, small equipment they can operate. So it's been very successful, overwhelming, <laughs> overwhelmingly yeah. so. Um, but we help them from recipe to uh, labeling and, and all the all the things that go into putting a product on the shelf. We also have some specialty equipment that, d you know, does things that they could normally do, like little portion sizes. Um, so it's been very successful. We've, we received a $2.5 million grant last year, a half a million for s salaries for employees. So we have four food scientists on staff in the incubator alone. So That's well, fantastic. Tribute to Gay's success. I'll, it's I'll amazing. brag on her a little bit. She <laughs> has... Uh, her team over the at the uh, food incubator has gotten 35 products into the Whole Foods. Yes. Store. Wow. So, so on Whole the shelf. That, yeah. that is <laughs> tremendous because you must be hearing, John, and, and I know people at Whole Foods, but they must hear from people all over the country all day long who want their products on Whole Foods shelves. Yes, and we like to try to source things locally and support uh, up-and-coming entrepreneurs because that uh, allows us to have be innovative, uh, be on the cutting edge of, of food trends and and uh, have things that other stores don't have. So we love working with young entrepreneurs that are bringing out food products that meet our standards. And the, the good thing about the food incubator is they meet our standards in terms of uh, no preservatives, no artificial coloring, no artificial flavors. Uh, so uh, they're the kind of people we like to work with. Entrepreneurs in general, um, how do you know when it's when it's not going to work? And how do you tell somebody, John or Charlie or Gay, <laughs> if it's a food person, uh, when well, do you turn to them and say, y'all, this thing is going to work? We send them back to each well, other. <laughs> yeah, right. The, the big thing that we try to do is uh, ask the tough questions. Uh, most of the people that come in my office, come in to Gay or talk to John, is that their product is the best in the world, everybody wants it, and it's no, no chance of failure. And we start asking the hard questions because, you know, the big yeah. key is can you produce it at a price to where you can sell it and the market will buy it at a price that you can make a profit. And um, we, we get a lot of people that come in and once you start making them do the math and making them you know, really study the product and, mm -hmm. and look at the competition to see who they're competing against. You know, Hanley's going against, you know, all these major companies. How do you compete in that market? Um, and so, so we really don't try to tell people that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard and you're going to fail. Uh, we try to say, uh, after you answer all these questions, let them come to the realization that they need to keep their day job. What do you tell them, John? you try to get behind why they're trying to start this. Is it just about making money exactly. or do you really have a purpose behind this yeah. business besides just making money? Because you're not going to succeed unless you're passionate about wanting to bring your product or service to the market because you feel it needs to be there. It can make people's lives better in some way, make the world better. And if they don't have that kind of passion and purpose, uh, it's going to be tough for them to su succeed. The other thing I do besides ask tough questions is, is tell them, look, a lot of people are going to tell you cr you're crazy. I might even tell you you're crazy <laughs> and it's not going to succeed. But if you really believe it can, and you can go back and think about these tough questions and find ways to answer them, don't give up. Mm -hmm. Keep trying. Uh, so I don't tell them don't do it. I tell them see if you can answer the questions. But <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> see if you can, uh, you know, but don't, don't just give up just because somebody says it won't work. So exactly. once they're, they're in the incubators and they've gotten their good ideas and they're getting things rolling and they're ready to take it to the next step, um, investors, venture capital, angel investors, we're getting better with that? There's more oh. of that here in Louisiana than there used to be? You know, I don't, John's, that's his question. I'm going to let him do it. I'm going to just say one thing real quickly, is that uh, in the Baton Rouge market, we have had tremendous success with angels. 
Um, there's, there's not a whole lot of venture capital. Uh, there are some, and they have invested in some of my more technical scientific companies. Um, but, uh, but really, the angels are out there. And I get calls all the time from high net worth individuals who want to look at a deal. Hmm. And, and, you know, you've seen HydroGuard and some of these companies that have come out of our center. They, um, they have, uh, you know, they're something that a, a high net worth individual who wants to just put a little money in the game will do that. Now, John can go more detail because he does that. Well, I'm yeah. an angel investor, yes, and uh, that is generally where most high-growth uh, potential ventures go as once they've used up all the, uh, the money they can access through personal savings, family, and friends, and uh, perhaps whatever they collateral they could put up and borrow money from the bank. At the point that they need to get equity, most are not large enough and they're too early stage to attract true uh, institutional venture capital money. Okay. Uh, there are some funds here in the state that are operating, but uh, they don't generally don't go very early stage. So the early stage sources of money are, as Charlie said, uh, angels. These are uh, individuals who have often been successful as entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs themselves. They now have capital to uh, deploy, uh, and they want to stay in the game, as Charlie says. Uh, maybe they don't want to start and build another business of their own, but they love to mentor and help and support with capital and connections and advice and wisdom and sit on boards and nurture these entrepreneurs and help them along and be a part of the process and help them succeed. Now at some point if they get big enough, uh, they're, they're uh, you know, needing two, three, five, ten million dollars, then institutional venture capital money comes into play and that's becoming more and more available. A lot of it coming in from outside the state where venture hmm. capital firms are realizing there are deals to be done in Shreveport and Baton Rouge and Lafayette and New Orleans and they're starting to, to uh, be active in the area. So an angel investor is really smaller. They come first, and then Generally the VC. They go twenty-five thousand to a million, million and a half. Okay. Uh, and uh, you know they're willing to uh, put in uh, some interesting uh, convertible debt or or uh, uh, preferred stock kind of instrument and uh, get the deal priced and. And sometimes they'll be able to attract venture capital just based on their reputation as an angel. So if I have a good idea, how do I meet an angel investor? <laughs> well, there's uh, <laughs> something in New Orleans called the NOLA Angels Network, mm -hmm. uh, which is very active and functions uh, primarily in Baton Rouge and New Orleans. But they'll be glad to uh, take your deal into their process, look at it, and have you come present. Uh, and they're doing pretty well, from what I understand, Yes, right? they are. And there's probably an angel group here in yeah. Baton Rouge. Yeah, you know, it's, we, we work with them uh -huh. and more of the New Orleans groups that come in here. Um, our angels here are pretty independent. Uh -huh. uh, it's, it's like uh, just individuals that uh, we all know from being in this community. And, uh, and they know us from having been in the, in the incubator business for 27 years. And so it's kind of a one-on-one -on -one as opposed to really a network. We've, um, I don't think we've got one as NOLA or any of those at this point in time. Well, y'all, we're going to take a, a quick break right now and do what we call the checklist. It's that part of the show where we ask you a question that you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. Gay, I'll start with you. What is the part of your job that gives you the most satisfaction? Well, I think at the end of the day, when you see someone succeed, when you see a Hanley's food, he worked so hard, he quit his job, moved in with his parents, with his two children and wife. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what I call an entrepreneur that's, right. that's going to make it. He puts everything he has to into his business, and he just uh, created a ranch, lactose-free, GMO-free, dairy-free ranch dressing, which is very innovative. You'll see it on your shelves, John, in Whole Foods. <laughs> um, but just seeing people like that that actually succeed, 
or they, they lost their job and they started this candy business, they're flourishing now. That makes me happy at the yeah. end of the day because our jobs are very hard dealing with small companies. They know nothing. So <laughs> you're a, an employee of theirs almost um, as a mentor. So I think that's what I find it, it, most satisfactory at the end of the day is seeing those, those success stories. That's great. I can, the I can imagine. Happiness on their face when they come in and have sold you know, a pallet instead of just a few cases. John, here's one for you. What is your strategy for coping when things go wrong? Well, uh, I generally try to slow down. Uh, when things go wrong, you often uh, react uh, emotionally sometimes, and uh, you make quick decisions that aren't well thought out. So it's always good to think about a problem uh, or why things are going wrong and try to sl at least sleep on it overnight. Uh, and then uh, I try to think about, well, where is a win-win solution here? How, how do I get out of this problem what th where things are going wrong, where it works for me and it works for whatever the s sources of the problem are? Uh, and I try to th also think about what can I learn from this situation? What am I going to learn if I, if I solve this problem and get out of this mess? Because uh, there's always a lesson to be had there. And then from the perspective of the entrepreneur, most bad days come from the fact that they're running out of money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, my, my advice there for, for young entrepreneurs, and you will hit the wall several times where you, you think you can't make payroll, you, you can't pay the vendor and get more of the supplies you need, but uh, that's going to happen to you. You just got to find a way to get over that wall uh, and, and power through it. And, and uh, I, most successful, very successful large businesses I have been in have almost failed several times before they really made it. So. Don't give up. Good mm -hmm. advice. <laughs> Charlie, what was your first job? Well, uh, when I graduated from LSU and uh, got my MBA, I went to work with Gulf South Research Institute in the same building that is now LSU Innovation Park. Ah, uh, that's great. And uh, from there, I went to NASA. I spent three years at NASA, uh, head of their technology transfer office. And uh, the Navy moved a 1,000 families into Bay St. Louis. And so as an entrepreneur, I started building houses while I was with NASA. And uh, then after four years of that, I decided to leave NASA and go full-time into the construction real estate business. And I did that um, here in Baton Rouge. And um, Skip Bertman, the baseball coach, he and I had an indoor batting range and training facility. My wife had a ladies' clothing store. So in essence, I was an entrepreneur and serving on the chamber board uh, we wanted to do something for small businesses. We were doing a tremendous job of recruiting industry along the Mississippi River, and that's when someone brought up the incubator concept. And hmm. so uh, in 1988, I took an 18-month contract with uh, LSU to set up the incubator and then go back to my private sector. And on uh, Tuesday the 17th, I will be celebrating the 27th, 20th, wow. 27th anniversary <laughs> of the LBTC. So, so it's a little I, longer than 18 months. Low, they, they keep paying me, so I show up. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Gay, John, Charlie, it's been a pleasure to visit with y'all today and learn so much about entrepreneurship and your experiences in Louisiana. So thank you all so much for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you for Thank including you. us. Thank you, Stephanie. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been John Elstrott, Charlie D'Agostino, and Gay Sandoz. You can find out more about them by visiting the links on our websites, wrkf.org and itsbatonrouge.la. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily from 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. 
The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. You can see photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Facebook page. These photos are taken by Ken Stewart. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitch's new album, Puzzle, is out now. You can find out more about that at mitchellforeman.com. You can get this show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsbatonrouge.la and wrkf.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com And by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum at b1bank.com.